Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, good morning, man. How's it going? Good morning. It is going. Day after Halloween, I didn't do anything too exciting, but I know you have a daughter of your own. And so I'm actually curious to hear, instead of me telling you what I did, I want to hear what you did this time. Sure. Well, we have a six-year-old, so it's not anything too crazily exciting. But here in St. George in Southern Utah, where I'm at, um, there's a they actually do something here that I've never really seen before. So we have on the other side of town, there's kind of these really fancy neighborhoods um, with, I feel like it's like all the doctors and like very successful entrepreneurs that live over on that side with big, nice houses. And every single year they throw this huge neighborhood party where like they decorate the streets they have like ghosts hanging they have uh from like the from house to house and then like every single house has huge decorations everywhere and lights and they close down this big street and they have people like cooking hot dogs on one side they have people right in the middle of the road cooking hamburgers on these big grills there's these little like golf carts that have um little like um, buggies behind them that it's pulling for little kids to be able to run up and down the the streets on. So kind of the whole town ends up over there doing all of their trick or treating. And a lot of like the neighbors and in, in there are, have big projectors with screens where they're playing scary movies and everybody's dressed up. So it's kind of like, have you ever seen the show? Do you remember the show when we were younger? Heck, I think it was on like Disney. It was called Halloween town. I think. See, I've heard of it, but honestly, like most most things that we would have watched like as kids, I didn't watch because I didn't grow up here. I grew up oh, that's in Europe, right. So like a lot of that stuff isn't like a lot of like Disney movies, especially it's like I haven't watched many of them all the way through. And that's like, what? Like you haven't seen like the Lion King from like point one to point B. And I'm like, I've seen like snippets of it, but like I don't think I've sat there and watched like from minute one to the very end. That's insane. Yeah. Lion King was my jam. <laughs> but anyway, it reminds me of that show. When I was little, I used to watch that show, Halloween. I think it was called Halloween Town. And everybody's dressed up and even like all of the parents. It's they're just everybody's decked out. When you go and knock on people's doors, they're dressed up as they come out. So they take their Halloween very seriously. So we went over there um, as we do every single year and ran around and got tons of candy. And that's actually what I, I made a post about it today, but that's what I had for dinner last night was, was Halloween candy. Um, it seemed to resonate with people pretty well as well. And to kind of tie it back to the fitness side, right? I think that like when it comes to Halloween or it comes to Thanksgiving or Christmas, it's so easy to think that in the short term with one day happening here or there where you're off track, right? Like last night, I literally decided and chose in the moment, like, I'm just going to eat this candy for dinner and, and say, screw it, not really worry about it. Um, but for a lot of people that causes a lot of stress and you wake up the next day thinking that you failed in some form of a way when it comes to your nutrition, when in reality, as I, I said in that post that I made today, your body responds to what you do most of the time, not what you do some of the time. Right. So if you sometimes work out or you sometimes eat right, well, you're not going to see that much progress from that. Right. You, you can't expect much, to, much to change. But if you regularly work out and regularly make good choices with your nutrition and sometimes are more lenient with that, well, your body's going to respond to what you do on a day-to-day -day normal basis. Right. And I think that that's a big mindset shift for a lot of people. And it's easy to get caught up in feeling guilty for getting off track or, or feeling bad because maybe you missed one or two workouts or because you had a few days where you were off track with holidays or social occasions. When in reality, as long as the majority of the time you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, 
allowing a little bit of flexibility and balance in there is not going to stop you from seeing the progress that you want to see or or ultimately getting you to where you want to be. And it's it goes into more of that instead of that black and white type of thinking, looking at things much more from that neutral gray perspective with just a balanced and realistic mindset of of what you can do in the long run. And again, is in the long run, if most of the time you're on point with sometimes off track, you're you're ahead of the majority of people, right? You're going to have a better body composition than the vast majority. So I think making that distinction is so important. And for people to take on that mindset, regardless if you're newer into trying to be healthy or change your body composition, or if you're more advanced into it, learning, I think the more advanced you get, the more you start to realize that if it's something that you do stay consistent with, the people who struggle are the ones who have that black and white type of thinking that ultimately ends up putting them in a position to where like, it's always all or nothing. If I get off track, well, it leads into one, two, three, four weeks. So any progress that I made, I lose that progress. Right. And then you're kind of always starting over from point A, as opposed to being on track, maybe having a day or two where you're off track, but then getting right back on track to continue moving forward to where, where you're off track, you might've just like maintained or lost a tiny bit of progress, but then you continue to push forward over weeks on end to keep momentum on your side, as opposed to those who make some progress, have one day that's off, lose all of that progress. And then over the course of weeks and then get back on track. So they just kind of stay in this yo-yo effect to where they feel like they're putting an effort, but they're never really getting anywhere. Yeah. One thing that I have found is it all starts with the expectation that you set going in prior to the event, because what happens is like, let's say you have three to five pieces of candy, or maybe it's 10 pieces of candy, whatever it is. If you go in and you set the intention of, I'm going to have some candy. I'm going to enjoy my time. I'm going to be present but I am going to limit myself to 10 pieces of candy versus the normal 30. Instead of it being eating candy is bad, it becomes, I had some candy. I accounted for it. This is what I intended to do. And so you wake up feeling like I won, like I did what I said I was going to do versus setting no expectations and just kind of thinking, We'll see how it goes. As soon as you have that one piece of candy, now all of a sudden it's, well, candy's bad for me. Might as well just keep on eating. And you continue on and on and on. And so one thing I say is it's not the one singular night of what you do, but it's that thought of I failed. What's the point that then drags into whelp? I got a whole candy basket left, you know, barely any kids came by, guess I'm stuck eating it versus, yeah. oh, I can take this into work. I can split it with my coworkers. You know, I can account for a few pieces here and there, but I don't need to feel defeated and just sit there and cry and eat the whole entire basket of candy because I already messed up. Yeah, 100%. And last night, like full honesty, I had every intention to maybe have a couple pieces of candy. And then after my, my full intention was to stop at Chipotle and get, um, a burrito bowl to take home to have for dinner. Right. And we ended up staying out later than we wanted to. We ended up going over to my sister-in-law's after and, and trick-or-treating around her neighborhood as well. And so things just weren't working out the way that I anticipated them. And I think that like what you mentioned is very important, right? Having some structure and be like, this is what I'm going to fall back on. But at the same time, even your your structure or like what you are wanting to set up for the night, even sometimes that will go haywire and w- won't work out, right? Especially in my situation, like around family with kids, like I can have this structure and be like, okay, we're going to go out. Maybe I'll have a couple pieces of candy on the way home. I'm going to stop at Chipotle. I'm going to grab a meal and continue to stay on track. Well, that blew up in my face. Like I quickly realized it was 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and that wasn't going to happen. And at that point, like I just made the conscious decision, like, okay, I'm just going to eat these Laffy Taffies because they're my absolute favorite watermelon Laffy Taffy or no airheads, excuse me, not Laffy Taffies, airheads, watermelon airheads are my favorite. And Charlie had a bunch of those in her, 
in her basket, her Halloween bag. And so I started eating on them and it turned out to be like 10 o'clock at night. He's like, no, I, I'm just going to have a few of these go home. I've got a protein shake in the fridge. I'll drink that, go to bed and get back on track the next day and not really obsess over it. My old self would have thought that like that was a complete failure. And I would have sat there and probably ate two or 3000 calories of candy, right? I probably had like five or six of those Laffy Taffies um, and a little bit of, of the other stuff that was in there as well. But I didn't come home feeling like I screwed everything up and got into like a big bowl of cereal when I got home and allowed that just to continue to compound. No, get home, have a protein shake go to bed, wake up the next morning, get back on track and not really worry about it. And so there will be like having that structure, like you mentioned, is so important in a game plan, but just understanding that sometimes maybe that game plan that you have, you will get off track with it too. And anybody listening to this that have has kids, like, you know, that your plan with whatever you're according to do in given situations can abruptly change, especially if you have a family or if, if um, you have a spouse, like they're not always on the same page with you and you can't always live your life perfectly according to what your nutrition thinks that it needs to look like. And that's just going to negatively impact everything else around you as well. The point of this is you have to be flexible and you have to be realistic with the given scenario that you're in and sometimes move back to plan B, plan C, plan D, whatever that may be. And it might not be as optimal as what you wanted, but try your best to not allow that to negatively impact your mood or spike your anxiety. I know that's easier said than done. And that's something that I struggled with for a long time. I've brought up the story before on, um, it's probably like 10, 12 years ago at this point, but with family during Christmas, we were in Salt Lake and everybody comes together. We all go Christmas shopping and kind of have a, a Christmas party together. And the family was all ordering pizza that night to eat with one another. And I was counting macros religiously. I was leaner than I'd ever been, best shape I'd ever been in, and most restricted with food that I'd ever been in. And that night, I was so anxious about eating pizza because I couldn't track it perfectly that I remember like, I and credit to my mom. She's one of the best people in the world. She honestly, like I told her, like, I can't eat pizza. I don't want to eat pizza. Like, can we go get something else? And so we left our family. They all stayed at the hotel and ate pizza. And I forced my mom to go somewhere with me to where I could get something healthy and eat it with her. And just looking back at that, like, that's so ridiculous, right? Like I sacrificed that time with them and probably honestly looked like a jackass, right? Like thinking that, oh, I, I can't have this pizza. I have to go get something else. Like that's not creating balance and that's not going to be sustainable long-term. And so just learning to be flexible and learning to, to take day each day for what it is and give your best effort that you can, that's within reason, right? That's not going to take away from your experience. And when you get back in control of your environment, then take control and be right on point. But when you're in those situations where you can't be perfect, it's not worth getting anxious and being so stressed out about it and allowing it to, to ruin your experience with your loved ones in those moments. And I know people get stuck in that mindset and that's what leads to the all or nothing on both sides where you're all in or all out and learning just to live in that middle and give the best effort that you can, given the circumstances that you're in, it's not going to completely take away from your experience is what you have to be striving for. It's not super easy to find that right out of the gate. But with practice and effort and um, just being honest with yourself in those circumstances, it can be achieved, but it just comes from experience and kind of living on both sides to find that middle ground that keeps you propelling forward over the long run. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of make this bit, I guess, a bit more like applicable to not just like Halloween, but, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, of course, yeah. that's going to be the next fear of, okay, like Halloween's over. Now we have Thanksgiving. Now we have Christmas or Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, a lot of different celebrations. And it sounds so backwards, but I actually love having my clients essentially like predict when they're going to fail. And again, like it sounds so backwards, but one thing that I found that just really helps is taking a look at your schedule. Like let's say it's Sunday and you say, okay, like here's what's coming up this week. Here's what's on my plate. Predict, here's a night when food may not be totally controlled by myself. Here's a night when I may be out a little bit later than normal. And it's basically making like hypothetical situations of like, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. And it's kind of like the whole intention setting earlier, but it just kind of gets you in that mind that like, yeah, to, like today may not be 
a perfect day, but like here so I can still make the best of it and continue on that following morning. And I forget who I got that from. Maybe I'm not sure if you're familiar with like mindset research and stuff, but I want to say maybe Kelly McGonigal. I read an article by her, but it was essentially along the same lines as like predict when you're going to fail. And my clients are just like, what are you talking about? Like, why would I want to predict when I'm going to fail? But it's like, instead of being like a, oh crap, where did this come from type thing? It's, I saw it. I prepared for it mentally. I prepared for it, you know, action wise. And that's the best that you can do. You're going to have more Thanksgivings, a lot more Christmas holidays, birthdays, celebrations, travel. And it's kind of like you said earlier, it's the whole idea of this may not go perfectly this time around, but at least I'm learning what I can prepare better for next time. So if Halloween didn't go exactly as you wanted, how would you like Thanksgiving to be different? How would you like Christmas to be different? And it's just a never ending journey of trial, error, and just improving the small little tidbits that you can. And that's kind of my biggest takeaway from kind of what we talked about so far. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I think it comes down to just being realistic right? Being realistic with what you can actually do with the circumstances that you're in and not having this, again, black and white mindset of, I do the exact same thing. So if somebody's going on a holiday or there's a, a um, if they're going on a vacation or a holiday is coming up, whatever it may be, my biggest thing for them is as they leave, it's always trying to get them just to understand like you're not going to be perfect. Don't go expecting yourself to be right on point with tracking your calories, hitting your protein, potentially getting your steps, getting in all of your workouts, go into that situation with just understanding that I'm going to give the best effort that I can. That doesn't take away from the experience that I'm trying to have. Because if you go into it, trying to think like, I'm going to be right on track with what I need to do. And uh, and continue to see progress during this time, 99% of the time, it's not realistic. It's not something that you're going to be able to stick to. And so when you get there and you get in the heat of the moment and you're feeling restricted and you're feeling left out and you're feeling stressed because you're trying to stay on point and it's taking away from your experience, it's going to blow up in your face and you're going to end up saying, screw it and doing whatever you want to do throughout and coming home and regretting the trip in a way as opposed to looking at it from like, okay, I'm just going to try to do what I can do. If I can get in a workout here or there, amazing. If I can focus on protein at each meal, amazing. If I can track the calories to this, awesome. If that's what you want to do, or if you just want to focus on the one plate meal or the one plate rule to where you have one plate of whatever you want to have, try to optimize protein on that plate, but enjoy what you want to have at each of those meals. As long as it sticks to one plate, that's better than just saying screw it all together. Right? So having things that you tools that you can fall back on when it's hard, as opposed to looking at it as being perfect or saying screw all together, it's going to keep you in that gray area that maybe you don't make a lot of progress during those times as, as, and to be honest, you probably shouldn't, right? You should be enjoying that time, but living in the gray, as opposed to the black and whites keeps you in the game to be able to fight another day. It keeps you at least maybe maintaining the progress that you've worked so hard to build before this time came up so that when it's over, you at least maintain that progress so that you can continue to move forward and make progress from there again once you are in control of your environment again. But the people who get stuck are those black and whites to where it's I'm either right on point or I'm off track and then I'm unmotivated and I take two or three, four, five weeks to be able to get back on track. So you lose that progress that you created and then over the course of the year, it feel like you've put in a lot of effort, but it just hasn't been an effort that's realistic to see progress over the long term because it's either a 100% effort or zero effort. When a lot of the times, if you can be in that 60 to 80% effort range, when times are, t or when it's hard to be right on point and then taking advantage of the times where you do have structure and there's not holidays and you're just in your day-to-day -day routine. That's what allows those times to continue to push that progress forward as opposed to just making up progress that you're losing when you're giving a 0% effort. Mm -hmm. And it's a quote of mine that I feel like I've said probably hundreds of times through my check-in videos, but it's, wouldn't you rather be 75% on like spot on versus 
0% instead of kind of thinking, well, I'm not making the meal. I don't know how much butter they're using. I don't know how much oil they're using. So I'm just going to not track at all. I personally would rather know, okay, I'm at least within the vicinity of being correct, whether it's, you know, 300, 400 calories off, at least I'm being mindful. And it kind of forces you into that kind of sense of reality of this isn't just free. And it kind of often just helps to bring that awareness too. But yeah, just kind of just like you said, we would rather be 75, 80% on than just saying, oh, well, nothing I can do. And just kind of aiming for whatever. Yeah. Because especially when you're putting in so much effort on a week to week basis beforehand, right? The last Mm -hmm. thing you want to do is just erase all of that effort and feel like you're starting over. And so if any of you are in that situation mentally, I hope that you take this to heart. And I, I want you to know that this is something that I have struggled with in the past as well. So I get it. Like I, I understand it can feel like there's not really a light at the end of the tunnel, but hearing these types of conversations and the longer that you stay in it and the longer that you try to practice this type of mindset that we're talking about, and I know that it's a major shift, but the more that you put yourself in those situations, and if you just commit to that, let's say through 2024, as we head into the new year here in a couple months, if you focus more on creating that type of a mindset with your fitness and your nutrition, I think you'll get through that year and look back and look at how much more balanced that it was for you and how much more progress that you were able to create. And again, in the first few months, it will be hard. It's not going to be easy. You're not going to maybe notice a lot of, a lot of change in a lot of areas, but as you stay persistent with that thought process and remind yourself of that over and over, when you get in these particular situations, you're going to end up so much further along and so much more advanced mentally, which is the biggest hurdle for most people to, to actually change their body composition in the long run. So, um, I hope that helps. And as always, if you guys have questions on that sort of thing, if it's something that you're struggling with, feel free to go down below into the the links. And there's always a question box there at lostandlifting.com slash podcast. You can go to that page. There's a question box there and you can tell us about your situation. And I'm happy to give you personal advice as well, if that's something that you need. But um, with that, let's say we hop into some questions. Yeah. Let's do it. I was going to say that kind of felt like a Q&A without being a QA. and a It, it did, was like, yeah. we did the nutrition aspect and I was like, all right, let's get to like the actual questions that you, you know, followers, you listeners asked. So yeah, let's go ahead and hop in. All right, cool. Question number one, just a little bit of detail here. Yeah. I'm, I'm five weeks into a calorie deficit. I've gone from 2,200 calories down to 1,800 while eating 150 grams of protein per day. I'm strength training, getting 7,000 steps per day, but not seeing any difference in pictures, clothes, my weight, or measurements. What am I doing wrong? And she didn't give us any like stats to her body, so I don't know how much she weighs. I don't know what her her day-to-day job looks like, any of that kind of stuff, but I still feel like there's quite a bit that we can dive into here. That would obviously help, but. Mm-hmm. So where I would start, and I'm just thinking of an average client, someone who is four to six weeks, maybe like eight weeks into the process, and they're looking at their stats, they're looking at their measurements, the progress pictures, their weigh-ins, and they're kind of looking and seeing, I've seen some slight, maybe like adjustments. I'm not 100% positive, but it's really not where I would expect myself to be, you know, being four, five, six weeks into the journey. I believe you had mentioned that this client was at a specific calorie amount and then lowered down after a certain amount of weeks, correct? Yeah, she was at 2,200 and then she's moved down to 1,800. So that really reminds us of the primer phases that we do for clients, essentially establishing a baseline before we move into a calorie deficit or a fat loss phase. And so when we're looking at this, we can think, I've been doing this five, six weeks. But we have to remember that if we spent, let's say, two weeks at 2,200 calories, and then we realize okay, things aren't moving how I want, let me reduce. This person may have only been in a deficit for two, you know, two, three weeks, which is just truly not enough time 
to truly see what's going on. So if that's the case, I would say start there and give it a bit more time, usually up to like eight weeks or so, just enough time to kind of see how that changed the 1800 changes things. If that does not yield results and you're still kind of feeling a bit frustrated, more times than not, I don't think it's the specific calorie amount. I mean, it definitely can be in many situations, but before we look into changing the calories, I like my clients to be able to eat as much as we can for as long as we can. And so how we do that is before we change the calorie amount, we take a look at our food tracking accuracy. Are there bites, licks, tastes, the BLTs that are unaccounted for? Are there leakages in food intake? Kind of, you know, taking a bite of your kid's sandwich that's going on track. The, hand, the handful of M&Ms that sits in the office, are we doing that? And for example, with like meats or just, I mean, any type of food, are we being super generic? Like, oh, I'm having a salad. But that salad is also including like dressing and bacon bits and, you know, eggs and things like that that can add up to a whole lot more than just like a, like a regular salad. So that's the top two things that come into mind for me. I could stay here for, for a whole hour and kind of like decode what's going on. But I'm curious, other than those two, what else kind of pops into mind for you, Chaz? Yeah, you took most of the words right out of my mouth. What I would add to that, if you're at 1800 calories, and as you mentioned with those last two things, are you actually weighing out the foods to know that you're eating 1800 calories, right? Do you have to weigh out everything? And is that always realistic to do? No, but when you are in a deficit and the goal is fat loss, one of the most important aspects to that is accuracy, right? How you're saying that you're eating 1800 calories, but what you're actually tracking to what you're actually consuming, are those actually the same? And if you're not weighing out your foods, chances are they aren't the same. You could be eating three to 500 calories less up to three to 500 plus calories more just by simply not weighing out the portions with what you're eating. And I'm not saying that weighing your food is something that you have to do forever, but when you're in deficit phases, the goal of being in a deficit is to essentially get out of that deficit as quickly as possible, right? And so if you want to be able to get out of that deficit as quickly as possible, you need to be as accurate as you possibly can while in that deficit to get reliable data, to be able to make adjustments, to streamline your progress. And so just as everything that Alex mentioned, and just to add on to that, ensure that you are weighing out your foods as much as you can to ensure that the calories that you're tracking is accurate compared to the calories that you're consuming. And let's, you took it one way and I'll take it from just a little bit of a different perspective as well, where she says, it's not super clear, but she says, I went from 2,200 calories down to 1,800 calories. That could mean five weeks ago, she was at 22 and then she dropped 18 five weeks ago and has been sitting at 1,800. Or as you said, maybe she ate at 2,200 for a few weeks and then has just recently dropped down to 1,800. What you said about that is very accurate. Those first few weeks could have been closer to a maintenance. And if it's only been a couple of weeks down to 1800, um, well, you maybe just haven't given yourself enough time at those low, lower calories. It's only been a couple of weeks, but let's say you went from 2200 down to 1800. Here's something that's super, and you've been at that 1800 for the last five weeks. Here's something that's super interesting. So what you have to understand is that your maintenance is a range. Right. So let's say that you're eating 2200 calories and that that's where you were maintaining. For me personally, I can eat up to close to 3000 calories per day and I will maintain. I won't necessarily lose. I won't necessarily gain. To get me losing at a consistent basis, I have to be around 2200 to 2300 calories. Well, that's seven to 800 calories below the top end of my maintenance. If I get above 3000 calories, I'll start gaining slowly. If I'm anywhere between 2,700 to 3000 calories, 
I will maintain my weight relatively easily. And so a lot of people make the mistake of they get to the very top end of their maintenance and always think that they can just drop 500 calories from the top of their maintenance and expect to be in a 500 calorie deficit. But as I mentioned, your maintenance level is a range of probably anywhere to two to 300, maybe up to 400 calories. And so to start losing, you have to be to lose around on average, around a pound per week, you have to be around 500 calories below the bottom end of your maintenance to see that progress. And so chances could be that that 2,200 calories is closer to the top end of your maintenance. And if you've been at 1,800 for the last five weeks, well, that could be at the very bottom end of your maintenance. And for you to actually start seeing progress, maybe you do need to be around 1600 calories. And again, this would be much more helpful if we had more information on your situation to know like how tall you were, how much you weigh, what your body fat percentage is at, because all of that comes into play with your metabolic rate as well. And we could give you a little bit more detailed um, information on that. But what Alex, the, the route that Alex went makes total sense. And I completely agree with him. But then, then there is that other scenario that I have seen as well to where sometimes you think that, oh, if I max out my maintenance level to this higher number, I can drop from there and start losing when that's not always necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. So essentially for whoever this is sending in the question, one, this assessing when did I drop? Have I actually been patient enough? Number two, are you actually using a food scale? Do you know that you're actually intaking 1800 calories or are you kind of like eyeballing and estimating? And then from there, looking at if, if you are accurate, if you have been patient, taking a look and seeing, am I actually in a deficit? And maybe 1800 for this client just isn't low enough and they need to drop a little bit lower. But I would argue that like just starting off one of those three things mentioned should be kind of like the fix. Now, like potential roadblocks later on, I don't know what could come up, but for where you are at at this very moment, it doesn't have to get more complicated than that. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. And again, if you have further questions on this, or if you want to send us your details with weight, with height, with activity level, with like what your day-to-day job looks like, feel free to, and I'm happy to, to give you a little bit more direction in regards of where you should go to ensure that you are seeing progress. And the biggest key to this is patience, right? Like five weeks in, should you see, if you're consistent with your nutrition five weeks in, you should absolutely see progress happening right? You should absolutely see the scale should be coming down to, at some extent should start to be feeling maybe, well, I wouldn't even say that you should be really start to feel any progress, but you should see some in regards to the data in regards to weight should be slightly decreasing. If you have been in a deficit over five weeks, I would expect for somebody in that situation, who's around 90 to 95% consistent to be down anywhere from three to seven pounds on average, um, considering if you're not in positions where you could be recomping and building muscle at the same time, which that will change things slightly for some people as well. So it all comes down, it's very situational dependent. Um, but again, if you have questions, further questions on this, and this is your question, feel free to reach out and I'm, I'm happy to give you further guidance if I can get some more details, but let's move on. Do you have anything else with that, Alex? No, I think what we kind of discussed so far based on the info that we have is going to be about like maximum ability for us to support whoever it is without taking up the whole entire podcast with like, if this is you, if this is you, well, yeah, there's so many scenarios, so Mm -hmm. many scenarios. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next one. Then this is my favorite question in the entire world. Is there such a thing as overeating fruit? Do you have a recommendation on how much fruit you should eat per day? The only thing that comes to mind, which would be pretty hard to do if you're eating so much fruit that it's causing your fiber to go like up way too high, maybe some digestive issues, but that would be like kind of almost like telling someone don't drink too much water because like you could like overhydrate 99.9% of people are not going to be eating too much fruit. They're not going to be eating too much like it's it's not really a thing so like 
essentially eating fruit is not going to be bad for you. Eating fruit is great for you. And I think you should get as much fruit as you possibly can in your diet that doesn't cause digestive pain, which really like fruit shouldn't be doing to you in general. But what about the sugar? Doesn't fruit have sugar? Fruit does have sugar, but it might be news to you, Chaz. Sugar is not the enemy here. What? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's it's mind-blowing, but honestly, like it surprises me that information like that is still being spread. I know. And like fruit is still being fear-mongered. And I think the reason I don't realize is because like who I follow, I just kind of have this idea of like, oh, everybody's putting out good information like this. But I forget there's a whole other side of influencers who are like, sugar's bad for you, fruit's bad for you, bread's bad for you, pasta's bad for you. And it's like, no, like there's the other side, like come join the good side over here. Like there's a lot of great coaches who can teach you how to actually eat to nourish your body and not fear the food that your body like needs and relies upon like fruits, veggies, those things should never be something that you kind of look at and be like, ah, I, I don't know, just these grapes here, they're too high carb. Then now looking at things <laughs> like if, if you're in like the one time that I would like look to see what fruit you're eating and Chaz, maybe you can relate to this for the clients who are tracking macros, who let's say have, who do have a bit more who have their carbs let's say a bit lower maybe are like in a dieting phase making switches from things like bananas and grapes to let's say berries or pineapple it can save you some out. calories yeah mm -hmm. like switching pineapple comes to mind as well one that you could switch out mm -hmm. that would be the only thing like you get more volume of berries that's going to probably be a little bit more filling than let's say like a serving of grapes but that's not saying don't eat grapes, don't eat bananas. It's just saying be aware of the varying amount of carbs in there. But then again, carbs aren't bad. Yeah. It blows my mind that this still goes around. It blows my mind that I can make a post on Instagram talking about like, hey, fruit's not bad for you. Anybody telling you that, like tell them to go suck it. Basically. I feel like you get attacked for that. Like, I feel like you get attacked for posting like fruits, not like fruits, not bad for you. Yeah. But then on the Especially other if it goes viral. Yeah. Especially if it goes viral. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, I mean, I guess there are people on more of like the, the logical side of things as well that will, will potentially attack those who are saying that it is bad for you. I'm not one of those. I just see it and like, man, I'll, and I'll make my own piece of content on it. Like I'm never going to go dive into somebody in a comment section and, and like waste my negative energy on social media to comment on somebody else's post that they made. Like, that's just not how I'm going to spend my time. But there are maybe some people that will go and and attack people who are saying that it's bad, I guess. But you're right. Like I can make a, a simple post on Instagram or TikTok, like just being very sensible and helping people understand like fruit does not stop you from losing weight. There is nothing wrong. I, I promote eating fruit. You should be, if your goal is to lose weight, I hope that you are filling in some of your carbs with fruit, especially berries, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, these, all of the watermelon as well. These types of foods are so low in calories for such a big amount of volume. Plus they have fiber in there and lots of vitamins and nutrients and minerals in there that are going to be a massive benefit to you in regards to staying satiated, helping you to satisfy your sweet tooth when dieting, to be able to have something that's sweet is huge for, I'm somebody that has a big sweet tooth. I love my sweets. Like if I have something savory or salty, like at the end, I need something sweet to feel like I've completed that meal. If I don't have it, it's going to stay on my mind forever. So being able to grab like a big old carton of blueberries, I do this all the time, which fruit is massively expensive right now. It's it's ridiculous. Like to be able to get a carton of, of blueberries, it's like 300 grams of blueberries, I think is like six or $7. And I'll down a whole one of those. I think it's like 15 ounces of, of blueberries. I'll down a whole one of those at the end of a meal just to satisfy that sweet tooth and make sure I'm fully satiated, especially before going to bed. Um, for like 
250 to 300 calories for something that like massively fills me up. Right. And so sure there's sugar in there, but there's a massive difference between, between eating 250 calories of blueberries, which is very, very filling as opposed to eating airheads. Like I ate last night, watermelon airheads on Halloween, right? Like the fruit's going to fill you up. There's a lot of vitamins and, and nutrients in there. Sure. There's a little bit of sugar. Sugar is not going to kill you at the end of the day. You can eat sugar and lose weight and be healthy. I don't think people realize that, but you absolutely can. Sugar is not necessarily the enemy. Yeah. We want to be mindful with it because there's not a lot of nutrients in it, but fruit is that one food that sure comes with some sugar, but it's also packed with vitamins and minerals and the right kinds of, especially berries and watermelons are very low in calories for big high volumes that are going to satiate you, which is going to help you be able to stay on track and feel full, which is a cheat code when it comes to fat loss, in my opinion. I posted, I think it was a couple years back on my Instagram story one time, and it was just like a simple Instagram story of mine. And it was, this is what a bowl full of strawberries looks like that equals 100 calories. And I got so many comments back on it, like, no way, like, no way you can get that many strawberries front. And I was like, like, here, like, I'll weigh it out. <laughs> like, I'll put it on the scale. And you'd be amazed, like, how filled you can get from just... I mean, even in adding in something like a Greek yogurt, mm -hmm. um, just a high protein like oikos in those black containers, like 15 grams of protein, throw some fruit in there, you get 15 grams of protein. You have very little carbs, maybe like 10 grams of carbs from the Greek yogurt. But if you add some you know, fruit into that, get some protein, you get some fruit, healthy antioxidants, it's very filling. Fiber and it's you a, get fiber in there. Mm -hmm. And it's just a super quick snack that it takes you a minute and a half to make. You grab the container, open it up, pour the strawberries in, the blueberries, whatever you want to do. And that's it. You know, people always want quick, easy, kind of transportable. There you go. You know, eat it out the door or something and toss it when you get to work or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So in my opinion, and you probably agree with this, the best fruits for fat loss, when you're in a fat loss phase and trying to actively lose weight, the best fruits that you could eat on a daily basis, and I would highly encourage you to eat would be blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, watermelon. And then when you are in maybe more of a building phase or calories a little bit higher, that's when adding in things like pineapple, Melons are higher in calories, I, I believe, um, like cantaloupe and melon. Am I correct on that? I am not 100% positive on my cantaloupe count, but I would add grapes to your list of grapes, vegetables that fruits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I said vegetables. I don't eat a lot of grapes. Are grapes higher in calories or are they lower for the volume? Higher. They're Compared higher to like the berries that you mentioned. Yeah, they're higher. Okay. So yeah. So just be mindful with things like grapes and pineapple. I absolutely love pineapple. It's my favorite fruit in the entire world. But in regards to volume for pineapple, you're not going to be able to eat near as much pineapple in regards to volume and weight as you are something like watermelon or berries um, for the same caloric intake. So just being mindful of that. Again, at the end of the day, it comes down to the, the calorie intake of it. But if you are if somebody is telling you to avoid fruit, or if you are trying to avoid fruit because you're trying to lose fat, I would say that you are missing out on honestly, one of the best foods that you can eat for fat loss to help with sweet cravings and help, um, in regards to satiation and feeling full on lesser calories for bigger portion sizes, you are missing out on that, which will make dieting and staying in a deficit a million times easier for you in the long run. 100%. And it's delicious. I don't even eat it just for the calorie count. I think it legitimately tastes good. And it's nice to be able to eat a food that is healthy, but not just simply eating it because like I'm being told to, but because I actually enjoy the meal and I enjoy the food I'm putting in my mouth. Yeah. It tastes good and it's lower calorie. It is, it's yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. Let's move on. I could rant about that forever. It just kind of boils me up. It's like, it's such a ridiculous 
statement, an uneducated statement, right? For somebody to say that you can't eat fruit and be able to lose weight. Like we know that it comes down to a a calorie deficit at the end of the day. And then all of the characteristics that you can get from foods that you can't get from a lot of foods. Um, it just makes zero sense. It's so stupid. Let's move on. Question number three, what do you think about caffeine intake when, and how much, um, would you recommend to be optimal with it? So if I'm thinking correctly, I want to say the FDA warns you to stay under, I think it's something ridiculous, like 400 milligrams every single day. I could pull it up right now, but it's something very, very high. And I don't trust the FDA on much. What? I don't trust the FDA on much. Yeah. I was going to say like, to me is like, could you get away with it? Yes. But like if you're needing to intake 400 milligrams of caffeine to stay awake during the day, there's likely a bigger root cause at hand. And so myself personally, and just for like clients in general, I do like us to keep caffeine count as low as needed. So like if someone likes to take pre-workout, it gets them in the gym, it gets them going. I'm not going to say don't take pre-workout, but I might say instead of having a 300 milligram, you know, rain caffeine, caffeine drink, could we switch to a pre-workout that's maybe a hundred milligrams? I'm going to pick that one over. So it's kind of like, I don't have a set limit of like how high I want to go, but I do like for clients to kind of cycle and not rely on it every single day. So it's kind of like use as you need, but don't just overdo it because, oh, I can intake this much. The FDA says so, because it does have its effects on the body. And if you're just doing that over and over and over again, it's probably going to leave you more tired eventually down the road. Yeah, I would agree. I think that it's there's a lot of upside to cycling caffeine over the long run because the body does adapt to it, right? The more, the more consistent you are with a high caffeine intake, the less that caffeine has a positive effect on you. And so you need more to get that same stimulant from it. I was one of those people who was probably consuming anywhere from 400 to 500 milligrams of caffeine very consistently on a day-to-day basis for years on end. In the morning, it'd be like two cups of coffee. And then in the afternoon, it was always a white monster. And I literally couldn't start my day unless I had coffee. And I would always take, so I would wake up in the morning, drink two cups of coffee, start on my work, get going through it all. um, And then take a break from work to go to the gym to train And ironically, I wouldn't take a stim to actually work out. I could just go to the gym and work out and be fine because I had a couple of cups of coffee. But then as I got home and had lunch, I mentally couldn't get back into work for my afternoon block unless I had caffeine again to stimulate me enough to keep me going. So then I'd go to a white monster every single afternoon around like 1.30 or 2 um, to be able to get me until like 6 or 7 at night through the rest of my work block for the day. And I got to the point to where I relied on it. I couldn't mentally focus and get into a rhythm without it. And as I mentioned, um, when we came back on the onto the podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I had some health issues that came up. And so I completely cold turkeyed from caffeine for two years. Basically, I just started drinking it again maybe a month and a half, two months ago. Um, and through that time, like I, it sucked at first. I had terrible headaches coming off of it. Like dopamine levels were lower throughout the day. Absolutely. Like didn't have as much energy, like didn't have as much focus, but I did slowly adapt to it. And now I'm after that couple of years, I've gotten back to where I just really, really missed the taste of coffee. Like there's just something about smelling coffee in the morning and waking up and like, yeah, the caffeine of it is amazing, but, and that's probably why I'm addicted to it and love it so much. But like, I just love coffee for whatever that, that reason may be. And now I'm back to, um, in the mornings drinking. Well, I started out with only one cup and now I'm up to, to two cups. But when I first started drinking only that one cup, first thing in the morning, like the reaction I got to the one cup 
compared to what I would get from it before when I was drinking it all the time was exacerbated, right? It was, or is, is that the word exacerbated? Yes. I know how to spell it. Exas, <laughs> exas, I don't know how to pronounce it. I know, I know what word you're exacerbated. Like it was just 10x, right? Um, to where like it was a big stimulant. And I was like, whoa, like I can feel this caffeine. And when I get caffeine, it allows me like to just zone in on whatever I'm doing and just go at it. When I don't have it, um, I'm just a little bit more scattered for whatever reason. Like it helps me zone. But anyway, like it, like the effects of it felt like I was on 400 milligrams of caffeine with one cup of coffee, which was like 80 to 120 milligrams of caffeine essentially. And so over time, again, it's been about a month and a half in the last like week or two, I found myself wanting a second cup around like 11 in the morning. I'll have one at eight then I'll have one at 11, but you do get more accustomed to it over time. Right. And so the whole point of this, I think that it is a really good idea to try and cycle it in regards to like maybe using it sometimes and then maybe coming off of it for a while and then maybe using it again other times. Because I think that caffeine is a really helpful tool, especially for busy people and especially for, at least for me, working on a computer all day long and like typing and doing emails and talking to people. Like it can get just sitting on a computer all day can get kind of draining and be like, oh, I'd rather be doing anything else than sitting here on a computer. And I know for me, if I take some caffeine, it kind of takes that edge away and allows me just to to dive into my work um, and just kind of like tune everything else out and just kind of be stimulated and get done what I need to get done without allowing the mind to wander. But at the same time, for a lot of people as well, and and this does this for me in certain situations, caffeine can also increase anxiety. I have a client right now who just stopped drinking caffeine and her first comment on it was like, wow, like that morning anxiety that I would feel every single day is gone once I stopped drinking caffeine. And so there's pros and cons to it on both ends. Um, But as far as your question we kind of mentioned what we think about caffeine. I, I'm neutral on it. I think that it's a tool and I think that it can be helpful, but I also think that it can be abused and something that you can go too far with. Um, and that's not something that you want to do. And then when, and how much, when it comes to when I think that in the mornings is a good time to take it. I know that there's some research out there and Alex Huberman, I don't follow his stuff too close, but I know that I've seen him talking about like it's a bad idea to wake up first thing in the morning. And the first thing to, to go to is straight to coffee. So, and I don't know the science on that perfectly. Um, and whether you like him or not, I think a lot of what he says is, is good. I don't know if it's all 100% accurate. Cause I think that he does have a bit of an agenda when it comes to content and, and whatnot as well. But I, I do think it's probably a good idea to give yourself 30 to 60 minutes, um, wake up, drink water, get some sun, like first and foremost to wake your body up. And then as you get into your busy work, uh, maybe 60 minutes after waking, probably an okay time to take in some caffeine. And then if you're somebody that's going to use it during the afternoons, I would try your absolute hardest to not intake it after one or 2 PM being the absolute latest, like that's still pushing it just because it will have a negative impact on your sleep. Even if you're like, oh, well, I can drink caffeine and go to sleep right after I drink it. Well, the quality of the sleep that you get when caffeinated isn't going to be as quality of sleep that you're going to get when not caffeinated. So regardless if you can fall asleep or not, you're still hurting your sleep um, if you're sleeping while caffeinated. So try to keep it before 2 PM when you're finishing consuming it. Um, and I would honestly be trying to stay around like 200 to 300 milligrams max per day. And if you're getting over that, just to be able to still feel the same effects, maybe it's a good idea to cycle it and try to come off of it for a little bit of time to allow your body to, to readapt and be able to come back onto it and not need as much to be able to feel the same effects. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'll add to that that I did not discuss my first go around at this answer, but you mentioning anxiety brings up a really solid point. Having my client roster, essentially, as all female clients, one thing that I have noticed is symptoms that tend to be normalized in society 
can often be exacerbated. Maybe I said that right. Exacerbated. I think you said it right. I don't think I said it like that, but I think you said it right. (laughs) Caffeine can go on to exacerbate a lot of those effects. So you mentioned anxiety. Other things I would add to that would be PMS. By overdoing caffeine, you can make those symptoms worse. I would also argue things like you mentioned being able to drink caffeine late at night and then going to bed. It's normal, but is that really supposed to happen? And I would argue that if we're looking at things like circadian rhythm, which is like, are you waking up feeling refreshed through the afternoon? Is your energy constant? And when it's like 5, 6 p.m., are you actually getting wired? wired, Or when it's like 5, 6 p.m., are you getting tired? Or are you starting to get like wired around like 7, 8 p.m. where it's like all of a sudden, like I'm just jolted awake. All those things are normal, but are kind of like early warning signs of maybe check some lifestyle habits before you continue on. So it's just little things you may not realize if you tend to pull caffeine out, even things like you mentioned, like mood, like irritability, just kind of like overall like calmness. It has a lot of other effects that don't just rely on like gym performance and focus. There is also the others. So if you're battling kind of between any of those symptoms, maybe, you know, take a couple weeks to pull it out or lower the content and see if it improves whatever it is you're going through. So kind of person dependent, no like set limit. It just kind of depends on where the client's at, what they're dealing with and what kind of, you know, symptoms they're going through in their own personal life. Yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. And one thing just to finish off on the whole caffeine topic. One thing that we did not mention where it can be useful and I utilize definitely as well is during fat loss phases, when hunger starts to get a little bit higher, right? Let's say that you're getting to the tail end of a fat loss phase, calories a little bit lower, um, body fat's coming down. You're starting to feel a little bit hungrier. You're starting to feel a little bit lower in energy. Caffeine is a hunger suppressant, an appetite suppressant. Right. So when you consume caffeine, it does lower your cravings or your want for food, which can be extremely helpful. Now, I I personally, and I know a lot of people as well, who have abused this to where, oh, anytime I'm feeling hungry, I'm just going to take some caffeine because that's going to take away those cravings and that hunger because it's more of a stimulant. Right. So you can absolutely abuse it, but it can be a very useful tool to help you not feel as hungry and give you more energy when you are deeper into a deficit on the tail end of it coming to the end before you come back up to a maintenance. It can make it a little bit easier. One way that I would always use caffeine is for most people that work nine to fives, you're you're gone to work, you know that there's kind of a snacky period of the day from like after lunch, let's say from like one to five, there's a snacky period where lunch is over it's not really time to eat anything yet. It's easy just to kind of snack on random things, especially if you work in an office with, with other people and you guys have a little snack bar or whatever. Like it's easy to go. I have this happen with clients all the time. This is why I bring this up. I don't work a regular nine to five in an office, but I, I know the scenario because I've heard it so many times. It's easy to just get snacky and kind of eat random things during that time until the end of the day, after your meals are done, you're waiting for dinner. Something that's very useful could be potentially like after lunch, let's say it's still around noon, 12.30 or one, and you know that you kind of get snacky through the rest of the afternoon, we'll just intake some caffeine instead to kind of stim you and take away that need for cravings through the mid part of the day when it's not really time to eat anything yet, but you know your tendency is to go to food. Just take in some caffeine and see if that helps. But again, do not abuse that. It's just a tool that can be used and is helpful if the goal is fat loss for a short-term Band-Aid, but it's not something to rely on to control your hunger levels forever. So just to kind of sum up our our thoughts here, it's a tool. Don't rely on it. If you have any of the above, anxiety, 
mood kind of issues, irregularities, um, headaches, migraines, energy kind of dips in the afternoon. Be cautious. Use it as a tool to improve gym performance. Focus during the day, you know, at work. Use it to suppress appetite. Um, I'm trying to think of, I know, I think there's one or two things I'm missing that we kind of discussed, but essentially don't let it get in the way of your lifestyle. Don't let it rule your lifestyle. Like I can only do this if I intake the caffeine, probably gone a little bit too far, but as long as you keep it moderated, cycle it kind of in and out. I don't have myself any personal issues with like long-term use if dosed correctly. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that takes us to right around that hour marker. So we are going to shut down this week's episode. We have a few more questions that we'll just roll into to next week's podcast instead. So for all of you listening, as always, Alex's stuff will be linked down below. If any of you are in a position to where you're trying to get in shape at the moment, you're trying to dial in your nutrition, you're trying to dial in your training, and you're struggling with the structure or knowing if what you're doing is correct, or if you're using your time efficiently, reach out to us, let us know. There's a link down below with an application page that shows our, all of our coaching information, what that entails. Feel free to, to fill out an application. And at the very least, we can just have a conversation with you about your situation and give you some help and maybe where you should go, or if coaching is something that could potentially, um, be a benefit to you. And it's something that works within your budget. Um, that's something that we could look at doing as well with Alex or I. So, um, that'd be amazing. And then as always, if you guys have questions from the podcast, there's a link down below that you can go and ask questions, anything that you have, they'll come personally to my inbox. I'll reach back out and, and help you as much as I can for your personal situation. And then potentially bring those questions onto the podcast. If I feel like they would be beneficial to others as well. And then last but not least, if you can leave the podcast a rating and review, we would greatly appreciate it. That's how we continue to be able to grow within iTunes and then Spotify to continue producing, producing this content for you guys. So again, we really appreciate y'all. Hope you have an amazing day and we'll chat with you soon.